Oh, that's good. Hey, if you're our guest with us today, we're so glad you're here. It's a great day to be at Four Corners. I want to catch up on just a few things that have gone on. How many of you last Sunday night were with us in our new facility for the worship concert? Would you quickly just raise your hand and give a shout out? Wasn't that amazing? Our band did great. Let me tell you how great it was. The next day, I get this frantic call from the real estate folks, and they're like, it seems like maybe you've already taken over the building. And I'm like, no, 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 not at all. It was just a singular event where we, you know, brought some people together. We're so excited about what's going on. I want to let you know also, if you're a guest with us, that in your cup holder, there's a tool that those of us that call this church home are using to communicate our commitment to help make our next facility happen. And it's called a commitment card. It's like this. It was right there with all that other stuff they were just talking about. Hey, if you're a guest, you can look at that, but that really is for our regular folks that were people who call this place home to make their... Um, commitments to how they're going to give to this Build Lives campaign that we're doing, how they're going to make that obvious to us so that we can count on it. And so people out here have been doing remarkable things. One more big piece of news this week um, is that we got our zoning certificate. The preliminary zoning certificate is complete. That's a big deal, guys. Yeah, that's a really big deal. And so over the next few weeks, by the end of the year, you're going to hear some other just crazy, crazy, crazy good things. If you are with us and you've been going along this journey with us, hearing about it, praying about it, thinking about it, and you have yet to fill out your commitment card, you can do that any time between now and the end of the year. The end of the year for us is our big Christmas Eve Eve service, which you'll hear about. And we'd like for you to just fill out that card, drop it in the bucket. So it lets us know exactly where we are and exactly what we need to do to move forward. And so uh, be prepared to hear some great stuff. God's really, really been at work. And then, of course, there was one more great event. Uh, it was yesterday. It was the uh, Westchester Christmas Walk. And we had, uh, with our church in cooperation with Uno's and Taco Bell, we had live reindeer. Um, yeah, it was really cool. And I got to see hundreds of people come by and just, uh, you know, like look at the reindeer and go, oh, they really do have antlers and they're not glued on. And it was really kind of a cool event. And so those of you that served there, thank you so much for making uh, that happen. It was a, a lot of fun for us to kind of represent our heart for kids and just be a part of what's going on in our community. So I want to take you now to a passage in the, in the Bible that for me is just exciting. We're, we're talking about this idea of build lives. This is simply our campaign to really remember that when we build this building, it's not just about a building for us, it's about people. And we've been looking at the story of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. They were the first group of people that as a group, God looked at them and said, hey, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out of the crowd. I'm calling you out of the masses. And I'm calling you together to be my people. And I'm going to do something special in your life. And I'm going to bless the whole world through you. I'm going to take you to a special place called the land of promise. And when you're in that place, I'm going to bless you abundantly. But not just for you. I'm going to bless you abundantly so that the whole world through you might be blessed. In fact, that's the very land on which just a few hundred years later, Jesus Christ, the one we're getting ready to celebrate his birth at Christmas, Jesus Christ is born in that land and the whole world has been blessed because of what God did through this group of called out people. Well, first there was Moses and his experience at the burning bush. And then there were these remarkable events in their history, like standing at the Red Sea, um, walking through the wilderness without bread or water and God providing coming to the edge and being able to look just over the, over the river at the promised land. And then even last week, we talked a little bit about the challenge of making sure that everybody takes the journey together. And just because maybe you're satisfied with where you are with God, it isn't enough. God calls all of us who've ever been called out to never make it just about us. 
And I want to take you now right to what I think is one of the most exciting passages. It's in your Bible, in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua is still the leader. And at this particular point in our Bible story, just two pages or so later from where we were last week, you find Joshua in a very unique position. They are standing right at the edge of a city called Jericho. Jericho was a powerful city. Out of all the little city-states that existed in the land of promise that they were going to inherit, that they were going to take over, Jericho was the strongest. It had the greatest reputation. They say of Jericho that the walls around the city, and I don't know if you know this or not, but in the ancient times, the city walls, that was a big deal. Because with strong, fortified city walls, you could sleep comfortably at night. You didn't have to worry about people coming in, marauding your little town, carrying off your kids and your goods. You had strong city walls, you could sleep. You only took a few people to keep watch, as opposed to every man of every house staying up all night keeping watch. So Jericho had amazing walls. They say that the walls were so thick that they used to have chariot races on top of the walls. So this would have been like a big, big deal. And the idea of this group of traveling caravan of people, the called out ones, wanting to take possession of that territory, the idea that they could do that, well, really, at least in the natural world, it was just impossible. And it became very apparent to Joshua as God directed him that that would be the place that they would begin to take over. And I gotta tell you, it troubled him a little bit. The Bible doesn't say in exact words, Joshua was troubled, but it does tell us that just before the battle, he gets up and he walks around at night. Have you ever done that? I don't mean necessarily literally, have you ever gotten a while up and walked around at night because you were troubled? But have you ever had something weigh on you so much that it troubled you and, and you just couldn't get rest? You couldn't be comfortable. This is exactly where he was. And he's walking around the area, I'm assuming contemplating. I would have been praying, I, I bet he was, and just thinking about the situation with, with, with kind of two polar opposite ideas going on in his head, possibly. God, you're an amazing God. You've promised so much great stuff. We have seen your hand. I mean, in our day, we have seen you work miracles. Oh, you're awesome, God. And on the other hand, thinking, but the walls of Jericho, God, this is Jericho. Jericho is, Jericho's Jericho, God. Do you know, God, what you're asking us to do? And they got walls and like people on the walls with spears and bows and arrows. And God, did you know they have chariot races on the walls? Now, God, I know you're awesome, but God, do you, I don't know exactly the battle going on in his mind, but I've had battles like that going on in my mind. God, I, I know you're great. I mean, I'm, an, I'm a recipient of your grace. God, you have forgiven my sins. Oh, you're awesome, God. You've let me be in community with other people that bring out good in me, that call out your giftedness. We get to do life together. God, you've given me a great family. You've provided for me. I've never gone hungry. On my worst day, I had a roof over my head. That's at least my story. And then I look at the issues in my life and I think, but God, do you, God, have you forgotten, God, just how challenging this thing over here is? And often I find myself doing, I bet, exactly what many of you in the room have done. And there's really nothing wrong with this. In fact, I'm going to introduce this idea and you're going to think, yeah, Ben, what's the big deal? I'm going to tell you about this little idea that I think Joshua may have been wrestling with. And then God teaches him a lesson that's a game changer for him. Joshua was probably saying, God, 
I need you to help me. God, I need you to get on board with my agenda. God, I need you to come alongside me, give me the confidence, give me the skills, the equipment, whatever. God, you got to do something big for me. And in the middle of this contemplation, the Bible story kicks in there in Joshua chapter 5. I hope you found it in your Bible, if not on the screen behind me. Here's what it says in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Let's pause. (laughs) He's getting ready to go to battle. He knows he's on the eve of what is going to be the biggest challenge physically of his life. I mean, this is conflict. This is battle royale. In the middle of his contemplative walk, I'm sure he wasn't fully armed. He's at night. He thinks he's safe. He sees a man standing in the path with a big old honking sword drawn. And Joshua asks the most spiritual question he could have ever asked. Joshua went up to him and he said, are are you for us? Are you for our enemies? I got to tell you, this is one of those special places in the Bible because we're given a unique sense of what Joshua is going through emotionally. We're going to discover in just a moment that this isn't an ordinary man. This is an angel of the Lord. Joshua just doesn't know it yet. For Joshua, he's so in his thing, so in his situation that he doesn't realize he's about to have a divine encounter. Before the first Christmas, often when God wanted to deal with people, he would send a messenger. The Greek word for messenger is angelos. We get our word angel for that, right? The word angel means messenger. And this is a messenger of God come to teach Joshua a powerful lesson. Let me just ask you, do you think that you are more receptive to what God wants you to hear when everything is comfortable and you're on easy street, almost on autopilot? Or do you think that maybe you're more receptive to the things that God wants you to know when you are in a place feeling the stretching of life? You feel your need and you're very aware of just how much you need God. Which position do you think you're most likely to learn from? Well, maybe you're not like me, but for me, it's the second one. I am definitely much more receptive to hear from God, to ask God's opinion, to ask God on board, to, show God, to ask God to show me what he wants me to know when I am struggling with something. I mean, if I'm going through a less than romantic time in my in my marriage. I mean, if it's not like we're, you know, uh, on our honeymoon again, and we're kind of going through a a dry spell, or we're going through a time where it's just a little, uh, uh, I know that doesn't happen to you guys, but you know, if if we go through that for a little while, and and it's a little, uh, uh, I'm much more receptive as I think and pray about, you know, God, what can I do? And what would you like us to do? And what should we do? And man, if my finances, if there's more month at the end of my money, ever happened to you? I am much more receptive. And when I don't have all the physical energy, if something's going on inside my body, some of you, you know, without making a big deal about it, I've kind of struggled with some kidney stones. Ugh, I can't tell you how clearly I've called out to the Lord for help in the middle. I have witnessed to every person that stuck me with needles and prods. I mean, they all know I believe in Jesus because I just lay in the bed. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I mean, they all know my dependence on the Lord. And listen, God likes it when we turn to him in times of challenge. 
in times of difficulty. He's not in any way undermined. His majesty, his glory isn't undermined by that. It actually, it actually is a marvelous way for us to remember that there really is a God above and beyond it all. This is where Joshua was, but he just wasn't fully aware of all that was going on in the moment. So he asked the most natural question in the world. Are you for us or for our enemies? Now, this is an angel of the Lord, but look at the response in verse 14. Neither. Uh Uh-oh. Something else was going on here. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, now his identity has been revealed, I have now come. I bet you, out of all the things that Joshua expected to hear that night, as he was on commission from God, as he was trying to contemplate exactly what does it mean for him to walk out a relationship with God as the leader of the children of Israel, I bet the last thing he expected to hear from the commander of the army of the Lord that he was neither for nor against Joshua. Friends, this is a troubling, perplexing moment. It's a moment for pause. It's a moment for us to all stop and think through Joshua's example. And I bet it wouldn't take much digging for you to have come to a very similar place if you've been walking with God for any length of time at all. And maybe even today, if you aren't yet in a relationship with Jesus, you can understand this as well. And how can I say it in just the clearest language? God isn't primarily concerned with your agenda. He's not primarily concerned with my agenda. He's not even concerned with how I think my agenda should be worked out under the umbrella of his agenda. What Joshua is about to learn here is that it matters much less who is for you or against you, and it matters much more who you're for. It matters much more who you're for than it matters who's against you or who's for you. This is a game-changing lesson for Joshua. It's a game-changing lesson for us. While it's true that our challenges and difficulties, the real struggles of life, and I bet if we could take time in this room and pass the microphone, the challenges challenges would be almost overwhelming. While God cares about that, the primary thing that God is doing in the world The primary reason he invites you into a relationship with him is not simply for him to get on board your agenda. It's not simply for him to be on your side, even though that is often what causes us to move towards him. God, I'm in need. Would you you help me out here? Often our challenges cause us to gravitate towards him. You should remember that God is less concerned about your agenda and much more wants you to be concerned about his. I've been walking with the Lord to varying degrees of success since I was five years old. I remember the very first time I prayed in a little kid's church, like very much like what's going on right now while we're in here. And the leader of the room asked me if I wanted Jesus to be in my life forever in words that I understood it for the very first time. And I committed my life. And over those years, since that time, some 37 years now, I have learned something and I am learning something and I've learned it over and over and over again. And I'm challenging you today to go through the lesson with me one more time. 
that it matters much less who is for you or against you. The primary determiner of how your life is going to work out is who are you for? Whose side are you on? Not is God on your side or not on your side. The question is, are you on God's side or not on his side? See, this is what Joshua was going to have to answer in the middle of the night as he's wrestling with a very real challenge. Do I want God to work out my agenda? Or do I want to solely put myself on God's side and let God be in charge? Really? How am I going to make my mark in this world? Am I going to simply ask God to bless my way and be on my side? Or am I going to give up my agenda and just embrace his? The commander of the army of the Lord with the sword, the one sword, the only sword that was really needed. If you read the Bible, I mean, God's angels can do some pretty remarkable things. I mean, the whole of the battle of Jericho could have been won with one swoop of the sword of the army, the commander of the army of the Lord. It was the most important piece of the, of the battle. And he wasn't taking sides in the way that Joshua was wording it. He wanted Joshua to do a little deeper introspection. And I wonder today if it's just possible that in your marriage, in your finances, in your career, listen to me, some of you in this room, you're like, you're leader types. You're like type A leader types. And you regularly think about your mark on this world. Let me make something perfectly clear to you that I think Joshua learned, that I'm learning. God wants us to come to a place in life where we quit asking him to bless us. And that is the primary focus of our prayers. And instead, switch our prayers and say, God, show me what you want me to do and I'll fall in line. In fact, he wants us to realize that the place of blessing that we really crave for the place of, of really making a difference, the place of the real favor of God comes not when we convince God to join up with us. <laughs> it comes when we wholly and completely devote ourselves to his agenda. We take our time to figure out what his will in this world is. We read it in the scripture and we join up with it. And we make our mark and our efforts to make our mark be about joining up with the mark he's making in this world. It really is a game changer. If you kind of just think about spirituality for just a moment, you know, if you'll let me, the Bible doesn't use this language, but just let me use kind of a modern day analogy. You kind of think like, you know, kindergarten being the place you begin your formal educational experience, you know, and then you go to like grade school and middle school and high school, and then there's college and for some of us, you know, post-grad work or whatever. We understand that there are these natural progression points that happen and there are these benchmarks that are reached and there are these understandings so that when you graduate from high school, there's a general understanding that there is a, a corpus of material that you have mastered to some degree. Likewise, when you go to college, there's a, a general amount of material that reasonably it's expected that you've gotten mastery over. God, in his grace to us, allows us to come to him from a variety of venues. But he wants to take us to school. And he wants to help us understand his purpose in this world. The whole reason why he began a movement with the children of Israel continued in the church. The whole reason he sent Jesus at Christmas 
And it isn't simply for him to come alongside us and make our lives more comfortable. In fact, one of the primary challenges God was going to have throughout the rest of the book of Joshua with the children of Israel was this. They were going to be so blessed, so wealthy, so healthy, that in just a few generations, it would be very likely that they would forget at all that they even needed God. They were going to be so blessed in the land of promise. Rather than rallying that blessing to bless the world, they rallied the blessings to bless themselves. And God wanted right here on the brink, after they've crossed the river, it's going to be the first battle. It's the first impression. It's the tone-setting event. It is the DNA-causing, catalyzing moment. And the question in front of the leader is, Really? You want to know if I'm with you or not with you? Let me ask you a more important question. Are you with me? Really? Or is it just about your own blessing for you and yours? Hey, that's okay at kindergarten. It's okay in grade school. But by the time we get to middle school and high school and college, it has to shift a bit. I mean, you shouldn't have to pull out the box of blocks to do the math all the time anymore. You know? I mean, if normal progression is happening, we shouldn't have to count the digits on our fingers. There should be some DNA happening inside to where an autopilot kicks in that says to us regularly, God's agenda is the most important thing. And when I give my energy to discovering that, that's how I will make my mark in this world. I think all of us want to leave a mark in this world. Can I tell you the people that have left the biggest impression on me? They are the ones who reminded me constantly that God had an agenda for my life. I had a youth pastor once pull me aside and he said, what do you think you want to do with your life? I had been around and listened enough and knew what to say to impress people when they ask you that kind of question. I'm not sure I ever really intended to do any of it, but it made adults smile and they patted me on the head. I shared my dream and ambition with him, which really wasn't my dream or ambition. And he said, that's awesome. And then he asked me a sincere question. He said, Ben, have you prayed much about that at all? I mean, have you asked God, what does he want you to spend your life on? He said, I think if you do that, he'll show you. And I think, honestly, your real path to happiness won't be you getting what you think you want. It'll be you coming in alignment with what God wants for you. I was 17. And I remember every single thing about that moment. It was like in the movies when time stops and the camera focuses and there's a real sharp, crystal clear image. When was the last time that you thought seriously about, God, what do you want my mark in this world to be? I, I, I can't answer that for you. I know that within the bounds of scripture, there are some sets, like some defined sets for every follower of Jesus. And so as a church, we have, as we've tried to lay out our mission, we have tried to make sure that our mission lines up with what the Bible clearly teaches uh, is the mission of every believer of Jesus. That is, we share the message of Jesus. It's called the gospel. And then we give Christians a chance to grow up in their faith. We've worded that different ways. And, 
But effectively, that's set for us. But for you as an individual, how are you going to make your mark? I mean, really, what's the legacy you're going to leave? I know some of you don't even think about that. So let me put it in a different language. What are people going to say about you when you're gone? I'm not trying to be morbid here. But see, I think that these moments sometimes creep up on us and we don't even realize that we're in a defining moment place in life. When you look at the greatest leaders this world has ever known, often they were well into the defining moments of their life before it ever hit them. Oh my goodness, this is a big deal. I mean, sometimes they were just doing their thing, walking out life, making what seemed like mundane mundane decisions. And all of a sudden they turned around and it was now a big deal. And their life was defined not by an intentional series of, oh, when I come to that important moment, I'll make this important decision. Their life often has been defined, these great leaders that all of us would look up to, by a series of relatively small, inconsequential things piled up on each other. Then all of a sudden, in a ripe moment, all of that became important. That's why it's important, friends. That's why God's word is replete with the command to us who follow Jesus. It is important for us regularly to stop and take inventory and ask, not, God, are you on my side? Where are you? God, I could really use some help right now. But to flip the question and say, God, have I drifted from your mission for me? God, is there evidence in my life that I've put it all on the line for you? Is there evidence of that? God, as I think about what I want in this world, am I really just deep down wanting you to bless me? Or God, do I really, really want to walk your path for me. I think this makes all the difference. Can I tell you that not just in individual lives, I think it makes a difference in churches, like corporately. God, do we just want a church where we get our needs met? Our needs getting met is a wonderful goal. It is. I mean, I hope to God that all of you will come to this place and the environment is friendly enough And while we can't force friendships, listen, that's just silly. You can't make a friendship happen. But I do hope the environment is conducive and friendly and congenial enough that if you were willing to initiate, other people would be friendly with you and then maybe a friendship could grow. And you could have what the Bible calls fellowship because that's important for your life. Somebody to come alongside and pray and speak truth into your life and speak, speak the truth you know, with salt, as the Bible talks about, you know, sometimes that little hard stuff that you don't really want to hear, you know, but the words spoken by a friend are faithful and true. And, and I hope that you come here and you get your praise on. I do. I mean, I'm telling you, nothing strengthens my soul. Like when I stand right over there in front of the speaker, don't tell me it's loud. I got the loudest seat in the house. And I am, I am kind of consumed with the environment of this room of you and I together, led by our team, worshiping our God. Nothing feeds my soul more and gets me more pumped about the thing. And I hope that happens for you. And I hope that when we open up God's word together, because you know what? It's not church if you don't open up God's word. And we open up God's word together and we look at his word and we try to bring it with great clarity and without compromise, that you hear truths that encourage you down your life road. 
make your relationships better, give you a better marriage, show you how to be a better parent, help you determine how you're going to live your life by what vow. I hope all of that happens for you. But I hope at some point you come face to face with your angel in the middle of the night, your messenger from God, that says to you, maybe in the middle of your challenge, what do you want more? God to bless you or for you to get on God's side? Because it'll make the difference in the quality of your relationship with God. If I want to get on God's side, honestly, it may still be a chore and it may still be difficult. And it may still be a challenge, but I will find ways to submerse myself in his word. You know, the day I started trusting God and not being suspicious of him, it was a game changer for me. I I don't know where I picked it up, but I thought somehow that if I totally gave my life over to God, that he would do something with my life that I wouldn't really like. I don't know where I picked that up. I, 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 I think maybe it was in the missionary testimonies as they came to our church. And then I prayed, God, do with me what you would. And next thing I know, I'm in India. Oh, don't, don't pray that prayer. I think maybe internally I kind of put that there. Or I said, God, I don't know if you want me to marry her or not. But then I heard him say, yes. And then next thing I know, I'm married to her. And I'm like, oh, okay, scary prayers, scary prayers. Stay away from scary prayers. Don't ever ask God, no, God, really, what do you want me to do? You know, hey, Stage your prayers in ways that the answers kind of give you what you're hoping. Nobody ever taught me that, but I think I picked it up. And as a result, as I've lived my life that way, I have lived an anesthetized, powerless, lifeless life with God. And that is not his agenda for anybody in this room. Power with God comes when you plug into him, not when you ask him to plug in with you. The commander of the army of the Lord was before Joshua. And he told Joshua, I'm not on your side. Hello, wake up call. I mean, I think it's not too much of a stretch biblically to say that while God cares for you, your agenda is not a major priority for him. And yet there is a life of blessing and favor that comes when you decide you're going to be on his side. Honestly, can I be straight with you? This whole Build Lives campaign for us, I'm not in one sense scared about it at all. On another sense, I'm very frightened. I'm frightened about the possibility of us losing our way. Four corners could go bad. It happens to churches. That's why for us, even the name is so important. It's about people, not buildings. And yet we fundamentally believe called to build a place where more and more people in this northern suburbs can experience what God is doing in this church. And we can do it with greater excellence and greater glory to God. And we'll say to our community in terms that they understand because they're spiritually blind, many of them, like I was. Hey, we take God seriously here and we take kids seriously here and we take spiritual change seriously here and we take the word of God seriously here. We think a building can communicate all that in ways that a place like this can't quite do to a community like ours. And so we are committed. But I know, I know that for a lot of churches, this place right here, They're like Joshua walking in the middle of the night going, God, are you going to show up for us? God, are you going to make a way? 
God, are you going to? When in fact, what God wants each of us to do and what he wants our church to do is to make sure that we're regularly asking, God, am I still plugged into you? God, is your agenda really my agenda? And God, if you were to speak, would I, would I jump? Like now. I mean, is my heart so for you that instead of asking God, how are you going to get us there? The moment you say go, I start walking. See, that's, that's the life of faith. That is not kindergarten or grade school. That's like graduate level faith. God, you said to reach out in that way, and I'm going to start now. God, your word is clear about this issue, and my heart's not even moved by it, but it's a big deal to you, so it's immediately a big deal to me. It's why, just as I kind of bring this to a point for us, it's why that in this Build Lives campaign, we're still going to make sure that we do our Christmas offering like we've always done. So when you give to Build Lives between now and Christmas Eve Eve, We're going to invest in people outside of us. It's a big part of our DNA here. It's our way to say to God, here's a token that represents the whole. It's like, for instance, a tithe in your life. God, here's a token of my money back. It represents it all. And I give it first so the rest will be blessed. We say, God, we're going to take a major portion of the money we give to this building and we could use every penny, trust me. And we're going to instead send a big portion of it over to India and we're going to make the orphanage larger. We're going to build an additional room so that the girls in that orphanage can have more space and there can be more girls. And then we're going to do something for their comfort. We're going to buy them all brand new mattresses. And I don't mean little folded over blankets. I mean mattresses. For many of them, it'll be the first ones they've ever had. And honestly, since that's a luxury item, that's a little expensive in India. We're going to buy them all mattresses. We're going to expand their space. We're going to give them a little operational cash. And then we're also going to partner with the Smoky Mountain Children's Home. And we're going to give them like, you know, into the tens of thousands of dollars over the next few years. Making sure that children here in this country who haven't had the good fortune of a roof over their head or maybe a peaceable environment or even possibly, you know, food here in our country. That, that they can have that there. And, and you can drive by when you go to Gatlinburg, you'll drive right by the place where we will have made an investment. And there will be other ways over the next 30 months that we will make sure that we remember with real feet on the ground that it's not just about us. That's what we're doing to stay focused on God's agenda. Even as we try to build a building. So let me ask you, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, Christmas is coming up. And you could... Honestly, you could spend all your money on yourself and the people you love. You can drop a few pennies here and there. Without shame, I'd like you to think about making a sizable gift to Build Lives campaign. And let's, at Christmas Eve, write three major checks to organizations outside of us. A portion of the whole going to bless them. I'd like for you to help us by carving out time over the next 30 months to give some money to build this building so we can reach our community. But I if I could be totally honest with you. I don't just want a building. And I know we're coming at various levels of spiritual maturity, you know, just kind of back to my school analogy. But wherever you're coming from, like right now, I mean, what would it look like if over the next few weeks between now and Christmas, where we celebrate the coming of Jesus, the clearest example of God's love for us, if you took some real time and said to God, 
God, I'm going to do a heart check between now and the end of this year. I want to start next year right. And I want to make sure that I'm not just asking you to bless me and mine. I don't want my mark to simply be my mark. I don't want my legacy to simply be my legacy. What if you took some time as a student, as a wife, as a husband, and as a businessman, as a person who serves in a church or doesn't serve in a church, and you ask a very honest question of God, God, am I, am I on your side? I mean, really, are the patterns of my life defined by being on your side? Or really is my spiritual life defined by asking you to be on my side? Why don't you grab out your connect card and let's take a few next steps together as a congregation. As they told you at the, uh, at the greeting there in the middle, that it's a big deal for us to just regularly throw out this option. If you're here in this room and you're not yet in a relationship with Jesus and you'd like to begin one, it's pretty simple. You simply say to God, I need you to be my Lord and Savior. That simply means I need you to lead my life. That's Lord. He's the leader. And I need you, God, to forgive my sin. He's the forgiver or the Savior. And I want you, God, to be in charge. And I don't know all that that means, but I'm willing to begin right now. Would you take me? And you confess that you need him in your life. We'll pray about that, but you can check that box A as an act of your faith. And then we're gonna send you some information through the week that'll let you know what that kind of looks like. It doesn't obligate you to this church. It just is a way to begin a relationship with God. You can do that right here today, like right now. Or next step B, you can go public with your faith. We have folks in this room who need to do that. We're doing that uh, second or third weekend in December. I forget, it's a fun time around here. Check the box. You'll get an email from us this week. Here's next step C. My relationship with God is usually marked by me asking him to be a part of my story instead of me seeking to be a part of his story. I just wanted this to be a moment of confession. Hey, if that's you, there's no shame in acknowledging that. In fact, it might be a turning point for you. You can check the box and say, God, I, I want that to change. If, that you, if that's you, if that's too often you, check that box. And confession, the Bible says, is good for the soul. Here's next step D. God, you've been bringing to mind an area of my life where I'm not fully devoted to you. Like I'm holding out. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe something he's asked you not to do that you're not doing or not to do that you are doing. And you wanna to begin to make that right today. The biblical word for that is repentance. It simply means I'm going this way. Now I'm gonna go this way. I was going my way. I wanna go God's way. You can check that box in a moment. We're gonna pray about it. And you can leave here today beginning to move in the right direction wherever God's directing you. And then next step B, I haven't thought much about the biggest thing in my life. I think I have a typo there about the thing that is the biggest deal. Like for me, like what's my mark? And I wanna learn to trust God more so that when I ask that question, like it really is his mark and not just mine, all right? So let's bow our heads right now and let's pray about those things. God, thank you so much, Lord, for the gift of Jesus. God, thank you that you left us the Bible to show us examples of people that are facing things that, while hundreds of years ago, sounds an awful lot like what, what we go through. God, thank you that you give us regular opportunity, sometimes in our challenges and sometimes in our blessing, to ask ourselves, whose side are we really on? God, today we declare, as a church, we want your agenda to be our agenda. And God, where we have simply, by being hurried or thoughtless, have asked you to simply bless us, 
God, we repent of that. Because the truth is, is we simply want to do what you want us to do. God, as we embark now on the next few days, as we think about a new year beginning, we want to start right with you this next year. We want to take this Advent season where we reflect on the gift of Jesus. And we want God to grow spiritually as individuals, as a congregation. So Lord, I lift up those folks who are stepping now into a relationship with you by saying, God, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? I confess you as the Lord of my life. God, I pray for those folks who are taking seriously what it means to be on God's side as opposed to asking you to be on our side. I pray it all in the powerful name of Jesus.